This morning we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. And before we read that, I want to tell a story. I was in the top bunk a couple weeks ago with Eliana Huhei, my seven-year-old, bedtime, bedtime story situation. I say, Eliana, go get me a book. And Eliana goes down, climbs back up to top bunk, and Ellie gets me Farmer Duck. Farmer Duck. And so there we are in the top bunk, and we start reading this story. And the problem is, is this farmer duck is kind of like the first mate or the right-hand person of the actual farmer. And the farmer's this big, disgusting, um, unkind authority figure on the farm, and he orders farmer duck to do all kinds of stuff. Farmer duck making him dinner. Farmer duck doing dishes. Farmer duck ironing his shirts. And the farmer duck doing farmer stuff. And you see, Farmer Duck was exhausted, and he was weary. Why? Because the farmer was not a good farmer, was not a nice farmer. And, he, and Farmer Duck had to follow all these extra rules. And there in the top bunk with Eliana, it sort of hit me. You know, following someone else's rules will just drive us into the ground. Following someone else's rules will drive us into the ground and Poor Farmer Duck, his friends get it, look at him. In the words of the text, he's sleepy and weepy and tired. And there on the top bunk, I said, you know, I feel that way sometimes. I feel that way for the same reasons, that following someone else's rules can just wear us out. And then it hit me again, well, wait a minute, the Bible speaks to this exact sort of situation, being worn out by following rules. So, for you farmer ducks out, here, out there, and those like me, uh, we have a text this morning, Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 15. Please read with me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Brothers and sisters, uh, the Bible says we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for today. And we're gathered in your name 
and you told us to do that. And you also promised that as we gather in your name, you are with us. You promised, Father, to not leave us or forsake us. Jesus, you promised that you would not leave us as orphans. You would give us your spirit. You would guide us into truth. That's what we're after this morning. We need your help to ascertain, to apply truth. And I pray that your truth would be clear this morning uh, to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the main point of what I have to say today. We have all that we need. We have all that we need. I'm going to unpack that a little bit in three points. First one is formulas will wear us out. Formulas will wear us out. Second point is we have all we need in and with Christ. And the third point is that Jesus removed the rule against us. So I'm suggesting we have all that we need and we need to watch out. The Bible here is telling us, look, we have all we need, but you got to watch out. You got to be careful. Why? Well, because formulas will wear us out. Look in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received, that's a passive construction in the grammar. Something's, something great has been given to us. Something wonderful, something huge, something life-changing. It's been given to us. And just as we've received something great, so now we walk in it. To walk means to practice. It means day by day, decision by decision, prayer by prayer, problem by problem, to walk out that which we've received. And here straight away, Paul is concerned. Watch out. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the church of Colossae, it is in what is present-day Turkey. There you see a pretty basic map of the Mediterranean, and Colossae was there about eight or, uh, eight or so hundred miles from the Holy Land. There's the Judah, uh, Jerusalem down there in the um, lower right corner. And the church uh, spread up into uh, Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, and this is a church in Colossae. And Paul, who's writing the letter, has gotten wind that there's a kind of teaching out there, and it's kind of threatening to captivate, it's threatening to confuse the Colossian Christians. And it seems to be this kind of like Heinz 57 sauce of teaching. You got a little, you got a little Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish law, seems to be mixed with some Greek spirituality, some philosophy, maybe a little Roman emperor worship thrown in on the side. And there were teachers tempting the church, go ahead, the Jesus stuff is fine, you can just throw it into the mix. And as it was for the Colossians, so for us, I wonder if there are sort of a la carte options to believe out there in addition to the gospel. About 10 years ago, two sociologists wrote a book that analyzed a, a huge set of data. There was a nationwide study, of the, it's called the National Study of Youth and Religion, just a lot of survey responses, trying to get a sense of what do the teenagers in this country believe. This, this is about 2005, 10 years ago. 
Those are today's, you know, uh, uh, folks in their mid-20s. And the sociologists studied uh, these, these patterns in the data, and they said, look, we can kind of identify five uh, spiritual beliefs. Can't really identify any one religion, really, but we can say this. Uh, they believe there's a creator who watches over human life. So far, so good. Okay, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair, as taught by most religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. The sociologist noted that this is it's a kind of a belief in a creator, so kind of deism we would call it, but it's moralistic. Be good. It's therapeutic. We ought to be happy. We ought to find out what's making us unhappy, and we ought to try to resolve those problems and issues. We need to be happy, and God, he's, God that's the, at the end of the day, that's what God wants to do, is make us happy. And you see, this is kind of a jumble, isn't it? It's just sort of a jumble, can be sort of confusing. And we need to be clear about what the gospel is. See, the gospel is about belonging to God through the forgiveness of sins by Jesus on the cross. It's been something that's been done for us and offered to us. And you see, the problem with the jumble is it can be quite confusing. Well, if I mix that in with what I believe on Sunday... Well, how do I live my life? Well, I'm going to go looking for a formula. And remember, the main point, it's we have all that we need. And a formula will wear us out. And so one way to help us apply uh, this um, point is to think about this word. So elemental spirits, there's, this can be translated variously, but uh, one thing we can say is it's, it's based on a, a Greek word. And there's another uh, a study in chemistry uh, this word stoichiometry, it's a, it's a discipline in chemistry, chemistry. And what that is, is you, you put together the right ingredients or whatever ingredients. You want to see reactions. You want to see outcomes. You put the formulas, ingredients into a, into a, in together, and you watch the reaction. You watch what happens. You formulate these, these mixing together, and then you watch what happens. And this word, uh, elemental spirits of the world, this um, mixing together, and this formula of watching outcomes, Paul is saying about teaching. We've got to be careful about formulaic teaching. And you can find formulas any old place. Philosophy, sure. Tradition, yeah. How about the self-help section of the bookstore? How about um, talk shows, social media, the nine keys to success, the five keys to happiness? The four keys to financial security. And this is a good question. What are the kind of formulas that we tend to be interested in? What, what kind of formulas uh, are, are we interested in following and applying? And sometimes for me, the formula's not so easy to spot, but as soon as I mention it, you're going to see it as plain as day. I would say something like this. I don't follow formulas. I don't. I'm not a formula person. I'm all about the gospel. It's just that I want to do everything right with excellence the first time. And if I fail, I'm going to figure out what happened. I'm going to fix it so that it never happens again. 
Of course that's a formula. That's a formula to be like Farmer Duck, to be worn out. And at this point, I want to offer a little caveat here. There's no problem with looking at best practices. You know, we've got to take care of our body, we've got to take care of our businesses, we've got to take care of our families, we've got to take care of our vehicles. What are, the, what are the best practices? That's okay. Notice this word, captivate. What do we find captivating? What kind of teaching, in addition to the gospel, what kind of promises, what kind of formulas, in addition to the gospel, do we kind of get carried away by? This word, captivate, think about, um, you know, like kidnap, maybe? Something is, uh, someone is taken away. They belong to someone else. They belong someplace else. So what captivates us? You see, we have all we need in the gospel. I'm saying that we belong to God. We belong in Him and with Him. Where do I get carried away? So I'm not going to mention the exact business model, but a number of years ago, Karina and I were sat down by a man that we knew, a friend, and wanted to invite us to coffee. And he um, seemed like a nice guy. And then we just want to get to know you, invite you to coffee, sure. We sit down with the man. He's a nice guy, family guy. And then it took about 15 minutes to realize he was on a pitch. He was pitching us something. And it took 15 minutes, okay. He was selling a product and, and a business and a model, and not only that, a lifestyle. These products will, you know, they just, we go to conferences on the weekend and these products will really change your life. And I'm not trying to knock you if you sell products, but this particular business, you know, kind of a pyramid scheme. And it is definitely a lifestyle, definitely formulaic for success. And we found out we were to be sort of ingredients in that formula for success. And I realized then that, you know, people don't just have formulas. Formulas have people, People don't just have ideas. Ideas have people. You, you subscribe to the formula or the idea and you end up serving it like Farmer Duck. And friends, God just wants more for us than that. He just loves us too much. He wants us to walk in the joy and the freedom knowing that we have all that we need. That we have all that we need. So, again, the gospel is about belonging to God through His forgiveness of sins by Jesus on the cross. We have all we need. So to apply this point, I'd like us just to take a second here and think, what do I find captivating outside the gospel? What sort of principles, what sort of teaching, what sort of keys to success, beauty, power, loveliness, whatever? What, what do I find captivating? What, what carries me away? And maybe... You can't identify that. Well, I wonder what a close family member would say. A spouse or a close friend. Another indicator might be your stress. What is really stressing you out? Think about that. Am I trying to follow some sort of protocol, rules, so I can get some sort of outcome and it's not happening and therefore I'm very stressed out? I want you to try to identify one thing and just hold on to it till the end of the sermon. Okay, why is it that we need not follow any other formula? When I was a kid, my um, parents taught me to ask Jesus in my heart. And many of y'all would, would say that, yes, I remember hearing that language of asking Jesus into my heart, and I'm not here to say there's anything wrong with that. 
But as I was studying this passage, I found something rather interesting, another sort of development. You see, asking Jesus in my heart, I think it sort of worked when on my best days, when I was facing a problem or trouble, certainly to get out of trouble, I remembered the Lord. Say, God, help me. I know you said you'd be in me and you're in my heart and I, I want to follow you on my best days. This is saying something different. Or it's adding to that, this. That even on my worst day, it's not that Jesus is just in me, but I am in him. And I am with him. Jesus is fully supreme and we are in him. So we are spiritually complete. We have all that we need. Look at verse 9 here. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The language is clear enough here in the original language it's even more clear it's, it, it would be it would be um, ordered like this in him is all of god and in him you are filled in jesus is all of god and in him you are filled whoa whoa in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh having been buried with him in which you were also raised with him. I mean, just look at the, the, the package of benefits here. In the, in the whole passage, we see walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Again, something done, something done for us. You've been rooted and built up in him, for in him all of God dwells, and you have been filled. In him you are circumcised, having been buried with, a, uh, buried with him in baptism raised with him, and God made us alive together with him. You see, you see this? In him and with him. I just want to take a second to talk about baptism, because some Christians disagree on the nature and the mode, and I'm just going to wade into that a little bit. Wade. Okay, yeah, okay. I tried. Yeah. I, I was writing that, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty corny, but it's worth it. Okay, so... Um, some Christians disagree on the mode. Do we just do infants, or do we do infants and believers, or only believers who can profess? And all I'm going to say at this point is, it's mentioned in this, in this package of things done for us, what we've received to be in Christ. Baptism marks us. We are receivers of God's promise. In the Old Testament, you had the, uh, the, the marker of circumcision for young Jewish boys. Say, look, by faith, if you believe... God will bless you. God has a place for you. And in the New Testament, it's mentioned here, same sentence, baptism for the new covenant, which is if you believe God will forgive your sins and you will be in Christ. This is done for you. So I want to say to myself here, Nathan, Farmer Duck, you think yourself this fancy pastor. You think yourself this professional Christian. Run around here. Running around there, doing this for God and doing that for God. Sometimes getting worn out for God. And I read this and I want to say, whoa, whoa, Nathan, how about this? Walking and working, believing and praying and crying and just being with Christ and in Christ. When I was a 
younger man, 18 years old, I started to follow Jesus, and I met a Christian at a church. His name was Brian. Brian was a character, very charismatic, a wonderful guy. And this is a throwback to the 90s, so if you sort of skip this decade or whatever, I I don't know. But Brian would wear uh, what we called hammer pants, okay? And, and, and Brian would have no problem me telling you this, but it's like a you know, deflated, deflated balloon with like a waistband, tie-dyed, neon, whatever, snakeskin boots, tight shirt, tucked in to the hammer pants, victorious mullet going on. And Brian was a youth pastor, and he would say that he did those things just to, just to kind of put, just, just to put off the pretenses of church, get kids around him, just put people at ease, make them smile. And Brian, I don't know why, took a liking to me. I was 18, and if you think, you know, I'm, I'm um, uh, hard to, um, if you think it, it, sometimes I'm hard to get along with now, you should have seen me at 18, okay? Very intense and new to the faith and trying really hard everything. And Brian would say, hey, Nathan, why don't you come over and make dinner with me after church? Oh, okay, Brian. Nathan, get that chicken going. Come on, get it going. Where's the garlic, man? Put the garlic in there. Get the rice going. Brian was married. And his wife's like, Brian, you know, Nathan's got to make the dinner. And, and so anyway, I'd help make dinner. Hey, Nathan, you learning how to play guitar? I want you on stage with me. I don't really care what you sound like. I just want you with me. Hey, Nathan, you ready to preach to junior hires? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's all right. I'll put you down. This is what I'm doing, and I want you with me. Nathan, you ready to help me lead summer camp? No, Brian, I don't know. I don't, doesn't matter. You're coming. You know how to put it in a furnace, Nathan? I don't know the first thing about putting in a furnace. No. I'll pay you a hundred bucks and I'll teach you. You see, what Brian communicated to me there was that there was a spot for me. That God had a, that, that Brian did, but also God had something for me. There was something going on there where Brian included me in his family, in his home in his relationships. He had a spot for me. And you know, friends, that's what God does for us. It's exactly what God does. How does that feel to be called out and invited and to be involved in something and, and while teaching you a few things along the way? You're folded into something great. And this is what Jesus says in the gospel. He says, Father, these are mine. You've given to me. Father, I want them to share in my glory. You're in me and I'm in you, and they're in us. He tells his disciples, as the Father loved me, I love you. See, there's a fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we are included. Come on in, in and with. Come on in. There's a spot for you. I want you with me. Amazing thing about that passage in John 17 is not just for the disciples, not just for the spiritual elite sometimes. We think of the disciples, whoa, I could never be a disciple. No, he prays specifically, those who would believe through their message, that's us. That's you and me. If we would believe, we are included in that. We have all that we need. There is a spot for us. We're included in something great in and with Christ. So to apply this point, um, this is in your bulletin here, okay? And this says life in Christ. One of our very own talented elders has produced out of love a devotional, a day-by-day devotional from now until Easter time. 
And so this will tell you how to get it. If you are at all in our email database, uh, you, it should be in your inbox. If it's not there, there's some on the back table for this week, and there will be some on the uh, welcome table out there in the front. And if you still don't, can't get it, just let me or Peggy or email somebody, and we'll get it to you. And this is a devotional meant to help us understand and, and work through and think through and pray through what life in Christ is like. This is one of those topics that you just can't spend enough time thinking about it. And when, when, you, when you're trained to look for it, you'll see it everywhere, being in Christ. That's our walk with Christ and in Christ. Okay, at this point, at the highest of high theologies, you're like, Nathan, can we just finish the story of the duck? Yeah, we're going to finish the story of the duck. So, turns out, Farmer Duck has some powerful friends who love him very much. They hear of Farmer Duck's trouble while the hens are comforting him as he's sleepy and weepy and tired. Some other of his friends are holding counsel in the middle of the night. Sort of a SEAL Team 6, if you will. Farm animals. Mm, farmer Duck. You got a cow with horns, some sheep, and, and, and chickens who are not chicken. So I guess there's chickens who, who are not chicken, so they're in on it. What do we do about our friend, Farmer Duck? We got to go after that farmer tonight. They steal into the farmhouse in the middle of the night. They go upstairs and they see that farmer, pasty white, taking up the whole bed, out like a light. They go in there, they flip over his bed, and they pitch that farmer out of bed. Moreover, they run him out of the house. And then they run him across the farmyard. They run him out of the hole of the farm. And they just keep running him out so that he'll never come back. And when they come back, they tell Farmer Duck what happened. And here he is, he's sweeping and he's still weepy. He doesn't know what happened. And here comes his friends to tell him that the farmer's been overthrown. And he just starts, he drops his broom and he's flapping his little wings. He's so happy. And you know, friends, I know that your life and my life ain't no bedtime story. I know that. We know that there is a rule that stands against us. And I'm going to suggest that's why we incline to follow other rules, because there's a rule against us. And all you have to do is turn on the news or examine a strained family relationship to realize the rule of sin and death, of human misery, it just stands against us. We notice it all too frequently. Without Christ, we are enslaved to the demands of this rule of sin and death. And if that's hard to buy, certainly you cannot disagree that we are committed to its destiny, the grave. But look here, Farmer Duck, I have news for you. Verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made alive together, or you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh. And you who were like that, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." And this he set aside, he nailed it to the cross and so disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, we have all we need. 
We got all we need. Because, because Jesus removed, he did away with, he triumphed over, he nailed to the cross the rule that was against us. Our forgiveness on the cross allowed us to belong to God in him and with him. And as glorious as that is, I love thinking about this triumph. There's a triumph, there's a victory, there's a disarming. Any lesser rule or authority is put to shame in Christ. Any other principle or rule or promised outcomes by following formulas, it can't hold a candle to the light and the beauty and the glory and the love that we have in and with Christ. To illustrate uh, this point and to apply it. I'm going to tell a little story. A number of years ago, I had another mentor, so I'd grad, I don't know if I'd say graduated, but I was no longer doing youth ministry and I was now in college and I was starting out in, in um, college leadership and I had another mentor. And he said to me, hey, Nathan, I want to know uh, how you feel about yourself today. What do you mean, how do I feel about myself today? One to ten, how do you feel about yourself? Gee, I, I don't know. Okay, this is a good exercise for you. I want you to rate your days, how you feel about yourself once a month or, or every day for a month. Wow. And the guy's name was Nathan, so it wasn't me, but his name was Nathan. Was, Gee, Nathan, I've never thought about doing that, and I didn't do it. Doing anything for 30 days is hard for someone like me, so I just couldn't. But we would talk about rate your day, how, where do you fall on this scale? And that question stayed with me for a long time. I mean, that was 2001. And that question has stayed with me. How do I feel about myself today? And I don't know about for you, but I take inventory when the kids go to bed these days. House is quiet and I've got about 10, 15 minutes before I fall asleep. I just think about that. How do I feel about myself today? And you know what? For many, many years, I'm going to tell you my number. How about 0.01? That's how I feel. And I'm worn out. I'm tired of it. A couple years ago, another friend in my life, I told him that story, and he said, what? What? Point zero one? I'm going to throw this chair through the window. You got to be kidding me. And that reaction sort of woke me up to the fact, wait a minute here, I am in Christ. I am with Christ. What business do I have saying to myself, I'm a point zero one? What, what business do I? Christ died for me. He loves me. I'm with him. I'm in him. Point zero one, no way. Nathan the sinner, yeah, maybe. But Nathan the Christian, the follower of Jesus, my Lord, my Master, who's including me in His glory, is that what He thinks of me? No, that's a lie. That's a lie. I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it a lie. Low self-esteem, that's a lie. And I'm going to proclaim that my God has triumphed over that kind of thinking, that kind of rule. I am in Christ, and I am with Christ. Glory. Hallelujah. I'm not saying it's gone perfectly since then, but something's different. Something's changed. 
Friends, we have all that we need. Formulas are going to wear us out. In and with Christ, we've got it. And here, take that one thing, okay, from the, from the first application point. Take that one thing and think about this. I'm going to name it. What am I captivated by? What's carrying me? What am I getting carried away from following or doing? I'm going to say, that's, that's a lie. Lord Jesus, you've triumphed over that. We come now to a time of communion. And I need to tell you that this is the Lord's table. It's not the table of Green Tree Community Church. It's the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he invites to it everyone who has put their faith in him, everyone who knows I need my sins forgiven and I have no hope except in his saving mercy. This is for me and it's for you. Now, if you're in here and this is uh, sort of unfamiliar to you and you're not sure where you stand, it's, it's okay. I invite you to think through this, what we've talked about, and just refrain from the table. It's perfectly okay. We're all on a journey. There were times... Uh, there was a time in my life where I didn't take communion either, so we're kind of all in the same boat as sinners. And if you're just not sure right now, don't feel pressure, okay? But it is a time for those who believe to examine ourselves, Scripture says. To examine ourselves. Say, do I need this? Yes, I do need it. Where, where have I fallen short, Lord Jesus, and help me? Help me name it and slay it. Proclaim your triumph by your blood for your glory. So on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, I'm going to invite the communion servers to come forward. And as you pray with me, examine yourself and ready yourself for God's table. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and honor for all you've done in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you would guide us. You would help us not to follow formulas. You would help us to realize and rejoice and to glory in and rest in your grace and truth for us, our forgiveness of sins, and that even more than that, you've put us in Christ and we're with Christ and all the benefits therein. Help us to follow and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come forward to take communion, please come down the center aisle from where you are. So folks here, you're going to come down the center aisle and you're going to exit here. If you're on the side, you'll come down this aisle and you'll exit around. Okay, exit around this way. So without further ado, you're free to partake of the table.